So just by way of introduction, our sermon series, Everyday People of God, this graphic over here represents us, we're the red dots, we are the church, gathered as we are right now or throughout the week as we gather in small groups and as we serve together, we are the church gathered. This graphic over here represents us as the church scattered as we go about our everyday life in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, at school, wherever you find yourself, uh, the bulk of the week. And these two ways of being the church gathered and the church scattered are interdependent and they're both important. And we're focusing on what does it mean for us to really live out our faith as people on mission for God in the everyday stuff of our life, primarily as, as the church scattered. And to do that, or to focus on that, we've been studying the New Testament book of 1 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter. He wrote it to a number of churches and Christians scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor. And so we're using that to, to focus our time. But I want to share, before we jump into the text today, I want to share a testimony with you. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to see a number of folks sharing their story about how they live out their faith in the everyday of their life. And we're intentionally putting together one of our global missionary partners next to one of our local folks who, do, who have a similar background or are in a similar field. So last week we saw a video with a stay-at-home mom who lives on the Arabian Peninsula and a stay-at-home mom who lives in the Merrimack Valley. And they're both speaking of how they live out their faith day to day because it's the same thing. It's not that missionaries are some superhumans and then there's the rest of us who are stuck here. That no, we all live on mission, we all can live on mission for God in our everyday life. So I want to uh, share our next video with you. System. This is a, a hugely important health factor worldwide, but also it's an opportunity to lead them in a journey of faith. God promises to respond to us as we cry out to Him for water or anything else. And so it's, it's a wonderful opportunity as we interact with communities and leaders, with government people. Uh, with donors to challenge all of us to realize that this is about a faith journey in which God wants to provide. And it's fascinating in community after community how God has been faithful, how he uniquely proves his presence and uh, his uh, providential power, his ability to provide for needy communities. My name is Paul Parkins. I've been a real estate developer and a civil engineer in the Andover, North Andover area for about 35 years. My day has to start with positive thinking. I actually put in my calendar, think positively each day because I can find myself drifting off into negative thinking. To counteract that, I have on my computer browser Philippians 4, 8, and 9. 
which reminds me to focus on the kind, the admirable, the lovely things that are in life, as well as the things on high. This recalibrates me and, and makes sure that I, I'm in the right mind to be a blessing to people. I can't, uh, I can't be a, uh, a blessing if I'm focused on my own problems, if I'm negative and I'm critical. I run into a lot of young men in, in the trades that uh, perhaps have made mistakes, maybe not have the best older role, mo role models. So I have an opportunity to share what's worked for me in my industry first, um, then about life in general, and if, if given the opportunity, uh, a way to sh share the plan of salvation. My secret weapon is Free Christian Church parishioners. In the 20 years or so I've gone there, I, I, I'm amazed each time I go as how many kind, good people there are that when I bring someone in, they, they really only want an opportunity to do what God calls them to be. They're, just, they're, they're generally full of joy and willing to help anybody that I might bring. And I, uh, people are often struck that, you know, there's no forced conversions, there's no, um, you know, demand to attend church or a certain amount of money, that it, it's just whatever, whatever works for you in a, in a godly manner, um, the person is here for you. So I never hesitate to invite people to one of the ministries uh, or, or even a private event, football game, uh, golf, uh, because I, I know that the people that are involved with Free Christian will be a blessing to them as they've been to me for many years. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that we would embrace what you've called us to be as your people wherever we are, whether we're in Ecuador or right here in the Merrimack Valley, Lord, that we are on mission for you, that we would embrace that, that as we look into your word, that you would give us wisdom to understand your heart in this. So we give this all to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today's topic is everyday community. The focus here is a community of Christian love. How, does, how do we live that out together? And that's sort of a, a church-gathered concept. But we can understand easily, especially from Bill's testimony, how interrelated that is, that you know, Bill is out and he's meeting these, these young men and he's mentoring them and sharing his, his wisdom and sharing his faith with them. And at a certain point, he invites them into a Christian community where he's confident that the people of this church will embrace and love these guys from whatever background they've come from, that this is a safe place to explore Jesus together. And praise God for that. The outsiders, non-Christian people, when they consider what Christian community is or what a church is, their view of that is typically not positive. Uh, there was a, a book written almost 10 years ago at this point, but still very useful and very good. Um, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons from uh, Barna Group wrote this book called Unchristian. These are non-Christian folks who were interviewed and surveyed about their perceptions of the Christian church. And the, their, the outsider view is that Christians are judgmental, hypocritical, uh, too political, there's just a bunch of these perceptions, and they're primarily negative. Even in my own life, I had some of this in my own life. An opportunity presented itself to me a number of years ago to work at a church. 
and I was having a conversation. We had a conversation about, is this a good idea for us? And uh, we, we know how churches treat people. And we had friends who worked at churches who had very negative experiences. And do we want to subject ourselves to that? And so we were pleasantly surprised, and praise God, uh, this community of Christian love uh, was warm, and we've been just loved and supported in so many ways. But th- this is... This is the mark of following Jesus. Jesus himself said this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when we consider our community of Christian love and how we love one another, this is going to point the world to Jesus. Therefore, our community of Christian love must be always growing. As warm and as good as this community is, we've got a, a long way to go uh, to, to be the people God is calling us to be as we, as we gather together. So what I want to focus on this morning is that our community must grow. First, it must grow deep. Secondly, it must grow up. And thirdly, it must grow strong. So let's take a look at this text together. First, first of all, our community of Christian love must grow deep. Look at verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So he say, he's saying, look, you already love each other. Now let's let that love go really deep. How can our love go deep? Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Because God's word is good and it's enduring and it can produce a a harvest, our love for one another can grow deep as we are obedient to God's word. Jesus, and I could picture Peter as he's writing this, he's probably remembering when Jesus told a very famous parable that he taught about a farmer who was scattering seed on different types of soil. And the seed represented the word of God. And there was a type of soil, when the seed hits the good soil, it grows up into a a healthy plant that produces a, a harvest and it multiplies itself. And here, that same image, this this not this. Enduring seed is God's word, and as we let it grow in the good soil of our lives, it can produce a great crop. It's very similar if we, as we think about our community together, our, our, the health of our community. If you, we, we need to be nurturing that seed, taking in the right, the right intake, much like your physical health. If you are sick and you go to your doctor, your doctor is going to want to know, what are you eating? What is your diet? If you have blood pressure issues, you're going to want to watch your sodium levels. If you have artery disease, you're going to need to watch your cholesterol. If you are overweight, you're going to need to watch your portions. If, you know, on and on. If you have diabetes, you have to watch your sugars. For us, the, the food that's going to sustain and, and grow our community is the word of God. Feasting on God's word, feasting on the scriptures and the the promises of Jesus and all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, what he purchased with his blood, his his love and his his presence with us. And we meditate on that and then we can flourish like the man in, in Psalm 1 whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree 
planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. It's that word as as we meditate on it and feast on it that's going to help us to grow deep in our community of Christian love. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking if you're going to summarize what I've said so far, you might think, there goes the pastor again. I think he said we need to love each other and we need to read the Bible more. And then he'll probably remind us in a few moments that Jesus died for our sins. Uh, Yes, that's exactly what I said, and that's exactly what I'm going to say. And the great thing is I don't need to stand up every week and think of something new to say to you and to be cute about it. We, we need to focus on what God has given us and how do we go deep with it? And how do we let the simple truth that, that God has revealed himself through Scripture and we can be obedient to him, and then that is going to help our community's health. And it's a great diagnostic. If there's a problem or there's conflict amongst us, a simple diagnostic question, how, how, how has your time in the Word been? How, is it, how are you letting it saturate your life? What are you reflecting on? The, the great question to ask. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. You know, we, we each need to read the Bible this much every day or magical about it. If we all just meditate in a certain way on Scripture that this this new thing will happen. But consider the opposite. If we're not saturated in God's word, if we're not regularly feasting on it, what, how, can we obe- how can we be obedient to it? How can we respond to one another and love one another in obedience to Christ if we, if we aren't taking it in? If we're not eating the right diet. And our community of Christian love can grow deep as we feast on the right things, on, on the Word of God. That's the first thing. But the second thing is like it. Not only do we need to feast on the right thing, but we also need to avoid things that are going to kill our community. We need to avoid, avoid the bad foods, so to speak. And that our community must grow up in that sense. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Peter writes, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You say you've got to crave the right food and we can grow up as a community. Otherwise, these other things, if we let them be part of our life, it's going to kill our community. And he lists five community killers in this passage. I want to look at each of them. The first one is malice. Rid yourselves of all malice. Now, you're sitting here today, and you all seem like lovely, peaceful people. None of you seem particularly malicious or violent-type folks, evil. So you may not be a malicious person, but perhaps you've had a thought. Maybe you have a conversation with somebody, and you think in your mind... I could just punch that person. (laughs) Big smile on your face. I could wring her neck. (laughs) Malice doesn't always manifest itself in violence, although it can. It's a condition of our hearts that we need to rid ourselves of. We need to acknowledge it. How quick am I to become angry in my heart towards a brother or sister? The second community killer is deceit. Deceit is just 
faking it, you know, putting on masks. When we have a higher value of our own reputation, our own status, you know, we, 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 fake, we fake it. We fake our faith. We fake our interactions with one another. We don't feel safe being vulnerable or open or honest. When we, when deceit is part of our way of life, when we wear masks, we have nothing to offer each other. Nothing real. Nothing to give as part of this community because what we have or what is seen is just fake. In our world, we live in a world where it's particularly important that we are that we don't have deceit, that we are honest, because there's so much deceit out there. We live in a world where we are marketed to constantly. You just pick up your phone and you're trying to get information and there's just ads and marketing and messages and in the news and on billboards and everywhere around us that we're trying to be sold something and we are a generation of people who are just used to a world of lies. It becomes that much more important for us to then speak truth to one another and to be honest about where we're at. So yes, maybe I, that's a risk to me and my reputation and my, my image, my status, but we need to rid ourselves of deceit. The third community killer here is hypocrisy. Again, professing to believe something, but then by our actions not actually believing in it or living it out, saying one thing, doing another. Um, this, is a, this is a tough one. This, so I mentioned this book earlier on Christian, and, it, and I recommend it to you if you haven't read it. It's good. But there's a whole chapter on hypocrisy. When they surveyed non-Christians, 85% of them said that they would use the word hypocrite to describe Christians. 85%. How did we get that? How did we earn that one? That people would be so quick to label us as hypocrites. What they, what they describe in the book, what's going on, is what they call moral stereotyping, which is when Christians believe that people reject Jesus because they're not really capable of living up to this excellent way of life and the, the rigorous moral standards that Jesus lays out for his people, and that these people just can't live up to it, so they, they reject Jesus. And on the flip side of it, even if you wouldn't articulate it, would be, but I am good enough to live up to this standard, and therefore I walk with Jesus. This is a very distorted and false way of thinking because what happens is what, what non-church people, non-Christian people see is they see Christians, they see a moral outrage and condemnations and seeking to draw boundaries around everything. And even when those boundaries are good and biblical and accurate, the outside world thinks that that's all we have. All we have is boundaries in this moral way of life. So what they see is, is Christian law, but they don't actually see Christian grace. So they see all these rules, and they look at Christians and say, well, Christians break these rules too, so they're just hypocrites. And that's where we get the label. But the, but the reality is, my Christian faith is, it begins, my whole faith begins with the fact that I violate God's laws. That I'm, I'm not you know, per, capable of just mustering up my own goodness. I have no moral authority to stand on except the righteousness of Jesus, which is something he accomplished on my behalf. It's not my goodness, it's his goodness that I receive. 
So my faith starts with my failure to obey. Jesus dies on the cross for my sin because he he paid the price that I deserve to pay. And I receive his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness. And that empowers me to live it out. But it's not my righteousness. But we've done a good job, I guess in a sense, if you survey people, of showing law without showing grace. The world needs to see that hope and salvation is in Jesus Christ, not just pointing out sin, but pointing out, pointing out grace. And sin, by the way, I don't know how to say this, sin is bad. Sin is awful. Sin should disgust us. But the, the, the worst sin should be our sin. We should be, or we should put it this way, we should be most disgusted with our sin because we know Jesus. We know what Sin, we know that our sin put Jesus on the cross, so then when we receive his grace, yet we continue to sin, we, that should break us as we have to turn again and again to, to his grace. So we need to be most disgusted with our own sin and not just the sins of the world. The world needs to see us, needs to understand that. Anyway, that's hypocrisy. I spent a lot of time on that, but it's dear to my heart, so... Uh, the fourth community killer is envy, listed here, not being able to rejoice in somebody else's blessing or success. So that stems from a place of deep spiritual poverty, thinking that somehow God has not given you what you need, has not provided for everything you have and, and your very life and the breath that you breathe. The fifth community killer is slander, evil speech or defamation, speaking ill of somebody when they're not around, speaking ill of somebody, even when it's true, whether it's true or not. There's no place for that in a community of Christian love, to speak ill of someone without actually going to them and trying to love them through whatever it is. So a great question for us is, do we do that? Do do you ever speak ill of somebody and not actually speak to that person? It's a great test of our community. The worst, the the worst time it happens is if it's by way of prayer request or we use some kind of Christian language. I'm really concerned. You know, my heart is in a good place. I'm concerned for so-and-so because they're struggling with this and that. But never actually going to that person. It's just, it, it absolutely kills Christian community. So the, those are the five killers, community killers. If we take them all together, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander... All five of those stem from a failure to believe the gospel. All five of those, what they have in common is they seek to put me above someone else. Whether by holding people to a stricter standard that I wouldn't even hold myself to, whether it's speaking ill of somebody or being fake and trying to protect my reputation. It's all ways of me trying to elevate myself. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that Jesus, being in very nature God, didn't use his divine nature as a way to get ahead and to, uh, to put himself over others, but made himself nothing. Took on human flesh, made himself a servant. Served his people to, by giving his life on the cross, by lowering himself and dying for others. And if that's what Jesus did for us, if we believe the good news, the gospel of Jesus, then, we, then 
we need to understand that that way of life is a way of putting ourselves under others to become servants of one another and servants of the world around us, not to try to put ourselves ahead. So this all stems from a failure to believe that. That's the sin underneath those other sins. So we must grow up, and we grow up in the gospel, remembering what Jesus has done. So we grow deep in the word, we grow up in the gospel, and lastly, we must grow strong. We grow strong in Jesus, verse 4 of chapter 2 in your text. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. God is building us together, and our community of Christian love can grow strong if the thing that it's built on is also strong, built on something that will last. Therefore, we build our community firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of our faith. And we're being built into a spiritual house, a spiritual temple. What's the point of a temple? Think in the ancient world. You'd have a temple, and in that temple, people would go because they could, they could somehow experience the presence of that God, or there was an image or a statue or an idol or something that would be there. So if we are a temple, a spiritual house, the point of it is that people can experience and see Jesus in us, in our life, as we are being built together as a community. We're going to point people to Jesus. Therefore, the people we intersect with on the front lines of our lives, as they understand that we are Christians and part of a Christian community, we can shape how people understand that so that they can actually see Jesus. Because people don't reject Jesus because they can't you know, live up to this moral standard. People reject Jesus because they've never considered Jesus and what he's done. And how loved he, you are. And how he died on the cross for us. People have never considered it. So people, they don't receive Christ because they've never considered it. They, they don't care. Or they've met too many Christians. <laughs> they reject, they're not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting Christian community. Which is the whole point here. We actually want people to at least accept or reject Jesus. And that's what's going to happen. And that's what this passage is pointing to, that once people interact with Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is going to be very polarizing because you either have to accept him or reject him. You either have to crown him or kill him. And, and, and Well, let's just look at these texts. This is a string of quotations from the Old Testament. But Peter's right in this for sure. Look at verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him shall never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Right, So there's to, to one, Jesus is precious. To the other, it's something I reject and causes me to fall. But people don't even get to consider Jesus if, they don't, if they're just so offended and so uh, put off by Christian community. That's why if we get this wrong, if we can't live as the church gathered and love each other in Christian love 
gathered, then we will never get it right as the church scattered. And we are being built together as a spiritual house so the world can see Jesus. So we must fight for this. We must be built on Jesus that we might be built strong together. So our community must grow deep in the word. We must grow up in the gospel. We must grow strong in Jesus. Here, uh, here's some things you could try, some application for this. The first is just to feast on the word of God. I don't know if you've made New Year's resolutions to read your Bible more. Uh, it's the end of January. You know, how's that going for you? Uh, I would say you probably can't resolve to do this to truly crave pure spiritual food. Only God can give you that desire. Maybe we just start praying, Lord, change the affections of my heart. Change my desires that I might crave what is good. And then when we start to crave the word, we'll just feast on it and it will fill us with good things. And as we live obediently to it, uh, we can love one another rightly and have just a deep community together. Secondly, we need to fight against these things that kill our community. This is a great list right here in verse 2. You can, use these, you can use this list in prayer to search your own heart. Where is there malice or envy or deceit or hypocrisy? Is, is, there, is that anywhere in me, Lord? Search my heart. Test my thoughts, Lord. Show me. Or with a friend, somebody who has a hunting license in your life to be able to point these things out. Use this list as a, as a diagnostic together. Thirdly, maybe you just need to commit to Christian community. That we want to, we want to grow in our community of Christian love. We must commit to one another. Maybe, maybe your next step is to join as a member of this church, to stand up and say, yes, I commit to this community. I want to live out my life well and love one another well so that we can go into the world and, and live it out there. Because we bring this way of life. It isn't just for each other. We can now live this way of life where we put away Slander, and we put away hypocrisy, and we can live it in our everyday lives and share it with the world around us. So maybe it's time to just commit to it, to say, yes, we're going to do this. Maybe it's committing to joining a small group or whatever your next step is, how do you commit to this community? What kind of community will we take into the world around us? And so two things can happen, and they're both exciting. One is that we can change people's perceptions about what Christians are all about. We can... We can live a life of love and, and that will point people to Jesus and it's going to shatter people's sort of negative, the negative stereotypes they have of Christians. But the other, thing is, the other thing is actually kind of encouraging. If you remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about how our country is just less and less Christian. We're becoming more and more post-Christian, so people don't hold Christian morals or value the authority of Scripture or anything like that. People are church attendance is in decline, that sort of thing. What's happening with that is that there's a generation of people who don't, um, who don't have a lot of church experience. And so a colleague of mine planted a church in White River Junction, Vermont. And the church is growing. It's the, that it's, Vermont is the least churched state in the, in the U.S. And by all the surveys and all the ways you can measure that. But this church is growing tremendously. And he said, you know what? I was talking to him last year. He said, these people, they're coming to faith in Jesus. They have so much baggage in their life. But you know what's cool? They don't have any church baggage. 
Because they have no church experience. They have no experience of Christian communities. He said, it's so refreshing. <laughs> See, it will deal with your baggage. But church baggage, you know, they come in, oh, how come your church doesn't do what my old church used to do? Or how come you don't sing the song that I liked at my old church? Or how do you, and it, people don't complain about church stuff because they have no church stuff to complain about. And he loves it. It's, it's, it's refreshing for us. So one of those two things, you have an opportunity to either change somebody's per- perception that God might use our community to do that, or that somebody might just be introduced to a beautiful community of Christian love. May our community grow. Remembering Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen.